Acts chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. It says, The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. To him also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Being assembled together with them, commanded them they should not depart from Jerusalem, wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. Of course, that would be the coming of the Holy Spirit. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord... Wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? He said unto them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and on the uttermost part of the earth. So tonight, I want to look a little bit at, again, the purpose for the church, the purpose for the church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege we have to be assembled together. Thank you for your word and its promises. Thank you that it is unchanging. It is incorruptible. And I pray that you'd help us as we consider uh, our purpose tonight and uh, help us to renew our uh, desire and and, uh, commitment to be a witness and testimony for you, uh, both here and abroad uh, through missions and we thank you for the privilege that we have to serve you in this way and the, op- the opportunity that you've given us and the responsibility you've laid before us. And so, Lord, just help us just to be faithful until our Lord comes. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the things we must not forget as a church is to, is to why we're here. You know, generally speaking, we could say we're here to glorify God. And that ought to be the purpose of every church, to glorify God. It's not to entertain people. It's not to have a good social gathering. And, you know, fellowship is a wonderful thing for God's people. But a, the church of God is to glorify God and be a witness to the lost. Uh, the old saying was, evangelistic unction, it's evangelistic unction that makes orthodoxy function. You know, so we... You know, we've been, been preaching a lot on, um, you know, Philippians about the consecrated life and holiness and all that, but we need to balance that with evangelistic unction, in other words, witnessing. Um, you know, all these things go together, and we need to have balance, and one of the things to strive for, you know, I tend to be, my tendency is to be more on uh you know, good Christian living, I think that's my tendency anyway, and not so much the evangelistic part, but we need to try and have a balance. You know, Jesus was probably, Jesus was the most balanced person that ever lived. He was perfectly balanced. I, I was thinking about that this morning a little bit, okay? You know, we we're talking about considering yourself, not thinking of yourself more than you ought to think. You know, Jesus could say that, that all power is given unto me. Now, if you said that, I would say you're very, you're, you are really bragging. You are, you are a boaster of boasters. But Jesus could honestly say that without bragging, but he would turn around on the flip side of that and say, yet 
I made myself subject to man. He made himself subject to sinners in that he became a sacrifice for us sinners. So he really subjected himself to become sin for us. You know, that's the epitome, you might say, of humility. And yet, on the other side, he can turn around and say, I will subdue all things unto myself. You know, there's, so there's, there's balance there uh, in the Lord. And, of course, we want to be balanced in ministry. And God gave us a purpose or something that we are to continue to carry out. You notice in verse 1 it says, uh, The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. In a sense, Jesus didn't finish his ministry. Now, we have to be careful about how we view that. There are some who think that Jesus didn't complete what was necessary for the salvation of men. Uh, Reverend Sung Young Moon had this philosophy that Jesus really didn't finish what he came to accomplish, and so he was the, he was the New Age Messiah that was going to fulfill what Jesus did not get completed. Uh, he's a little far out there. His son's even farther out there. You know, um, anyway, um, we'll get into that. But no, but Jesus, what Jesus began to do and teach... He wants, he's carrying on through his churches. So what he taught them, they taught others who taught us. That's how it's supposed to work. We're supposed to carry on the work that he began, that he started. Not that he didn't complete what he accomplished. He completed what his task was, even as the Apostle Paul. You know, in, in, in 2, 2 Timothy 4, Paul said, you know, baby, I've completed my course. Now, I've accomplished what I, God ordained me to do. Said, so I'm going to depart this life. You know, there's some there's some day going to come when when you're going to you're going to be finished with what God has for you in this earth, and He's either going to take you home in the rapture, which I believe could be at any time, or you're going to go through the the, the avenue of death. Uh, but God has a a purpose for us here, and 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 of course. Uh, <clears throat> That is to please the Father, and that's a general statement, but in John eight twenty nine he says, He that sent me is with me. Father hath not let me alone, left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. And uh, of course we are to please the Father. You know, the natural tendency of churches is to become complacent to, to compromise. Uh, when, when John wrote the book of Revelation in Revelation chapter two and verse four, he challenged the church at Ephesus because they had left their first love. There was not the devotion, the fervent, uninhibited, new, first saved love that they had had. You know, we can, and they were a busy church. They were a church that was orthodox. In other words, they, they held the sound doctrine. They tried them that were false teachers that said they were Jews and are not. But there was a lack of first love. There's a lack of devotion there to the Lord. You know, it's easy to become, like Brother Hoyle was saying this morning, you can become devoted to government and not to the Lord, as children of Israel did. They became devoted to the government, but not to the Lord. The Lord wasn't first. You know, we can, you can become devoted to a church organization and not really to be devoted to the Lord. So we have to have a balance. So, so we can be busy maintaining our separation 
and forget adoration for our Lord. Our separation ought to be out of our adoration and devotion for the Lord. It ought to spring out of that. So, you know, there's several things if, that we need to do, you know, as, as, and, and, uh, and these are not in order. They all go together. Of course, we must earnestly contend for the faith. The Bible tells us that in many places. Jude you know, 1, verse 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, need for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. You know, Paul told, wrote to the, or, or told the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, 27, he says, For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. And he, said, and he warned that there's going to be wolves even among you that are going to rise up. They're going to lead people astray. And so you need to be aware that there is always, apostasy is always around, and it's always encroaching. It's, it's like a wolf. You know, if there's wolves around, he's hunting. I mean, he may not be hunting 24-7, but he hunts every day. He hunts every day. He's looking for someone or something to devour, whether it's a rabbit you know, or a bird, or whatever it is. He's looking for something, or a lamb, or a goat, or whatever. You know, he's looking for something to buy. A wolf is always hunting. He's always looking for a prey. Even if you think he's tame, a wolf cannot be trusted. And I was reading a story about a book that a pastor wrote, Wolves in the Church. And he's talking about his how a wolf, even when it's domesticated, still has the instincts of a wolf. And this family had this domesticated wolf. And a neighbor had a little child, a year, I think it was a year and a half or two-year-old child. And, you know, the wolf seemed fine with his child. The child would pet it, play with it, and so on and so forth. One day, they were out along the street, and the child stumbled over the edge of the sidewalk. And that quick, that wolf attacked the child. Because it saw a weakness. And it's instinct, see, wolf always looks for a weakness to attack. And see, instinct took over. You know, that's the way apostasy is. It's just looking for an opportunity. And so we need to be earnestly contending. You know, that, that, again, that's a, that earnestly contending there is, is like a wrestling, struggling, and, and working hard to contend for. We need, we need to be doing that. But we also must have a genuine love for the Lord. You know, the greatest commandment, you know, a lot of people, the greatest commandment given in the Bible is in Matthew 22, verses 37-38, that Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. This is the first and great commandment. And so we are to we are to go, to to love the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. You know that's devotion. And I believe that's what John, when writing to the church at Ephesus, is saying, "Look, you've lost your devotion. Your devotion to the Lord is not what it should have been. Should be. It's not what it once was. Oh, you're still busy. You're still working. You're still serving." But it's just like a machine that keeps on running. It's on autopilot. There's not a devotion to me like there should be. So we'll love the Lord of God. This is the, this is the first and great commandment. 
We're to, we're to cherish is something of value, uh, something we need to keep. Uh, you know, John chapter 14, in John chapter 14, verses 23 and 24, it says, And Jesus answered and said unto me, If man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which he hears is not mine, but the Father which sent me. You know, you can, you can continue being serving in the Lord, and yet not keeping the whole of Scripture. Your devotional life. You know, to keep means to guard. It's like keeping your eye on it. It's not only obeying it, but cherishing it as valuable. To preserve something of value, of worth, of importance. And so, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. And of course, he says the second is like unto it. And this is a third thing that, that we, must, we must have. And that is a compassion for the lost, because the second is like it. The second, second commandment is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now the word like unto means, okay, this is a corresponding thing. In other words, this, this goes along with loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and all your mind. What goes with that is, or what accompanies that, or what shows that is true in your life is, you love your neighbor as yourself. It's like saying, it's like, like saying, you know, I'm going deer hunting. What do you think I'm going to take? A slingshot? Or a ball bat? No, those things don't go with deer hunting. You know, it's, it's, it's either going to be a rifle, a bow, with arrows, of course. Or, you know, it might be a shotgun with buckshot or something like that. It could be something like that. Or it could be a handgun if you're, if you're, you're really handy with a handgun. But most people hunt deer with a rifle, you know. Uh, that's what goes with that. So if you love God, what corresponds with that is a love for your fellow man who is made in the image of God. In fact, John, in 1 John 4.20 says, If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother... He is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? So if you don't love your fellow man who you can see, how can you say you love God who you can't see? You see, this is something that Jesus began and is continuing to do through his churches, and that is to be a witness to the lost, to have a love, a compassion for the lost. You know, Matthew 9 talks about when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted, were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. You know, he didn't know these. These people were all strangers. Most of them were probably strangers to him. They weren't relatives and, you know, people that he knew. They were just people lost. And the Bible says he had compassion on them. You know, he had compassion on the publicans and the sinners. You know, a publican was considered a traitor. They were the traitors of Israel. They were the ones that worked for the Roman government and took taxes from the Jewish people for the Roman government. And they were allowed to take more tax than what the Romans required and keep it for themselves. So the Jews hated them. 
And yet Jesus loved the publicans. Matthew was a publican. Zacchaeus was a chief of the publicans. He was hated. But Jesus loved him. He had compassion for him. Mary Magdalene, in whom was seven devils, he had compassion for her. Or the lady that came and, and, and with tears and, and washed her feet with, her, with his hair, and the Pharisees said, if he knew what kind of woman this was, if he were a prophet, he wouldn't be allowing that. You know what that tells us? She was of ill repute. She was probably some kind of immoral woman. And yet she came to Jesus for help and for hope, and he had compassion on her. The Samaritan woman. And so, you know, Jesus, you know, Jesus began this and continues to do this. You know, they, these, these, these lost are still dying. They're without hope, without God. They're still going to spend eternity in hell if they die that way. Matthew 9, he goes on and says, Then saith he unto the disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. In John 20 and 21, Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so I send you. You remember he told, was it Peter and Andrew and James and John? He said, follow me and I'll make you what? Fishers of men. I'm going to teach you not to catch fish out of the Sea of Galilee. I'm going to teach you to catch men, bring men to a saving knowledge, to salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Peter had to learn, well, let me back up here. James and John had to learn to have compassion on people. You know, we, we talk about John, we say he's the apostle of love. You know what they were nicknamed? Bonoges, which means sons of thunder. They were very zealous and jealous for their Lord and very quickly quick-tempered. When Jesus was coming from Galilee back to Jerusalem, and he would pass through, pass through Samaria. He passed through Samaria. And they knew he was headed to Jerusalem. And of course, the Samaritans didn't like the Jews. And Jews didn't like the Samaritans. Because he was going to Jerusalem, those in Samaria would not receive him. They would not give him lodging. And it was totally like a political, you know, like a woke culture type thing. We're not giving it to you because you're not a boss. You know, you just keep right on going. We're not giving you any lodging or anything. And... John says, James and John said, Lord, let's just call down lightning and destroy these sinners. And Jesus said, you know not what manner of men you are. You know, do you ever look at, at, you know, don't raise your hand. Do you ever look at people and their wickedness and say, they're just, you know, it's like, that's just disgusting. But you know, Christ died for them too. He died for them too. 
all men of, you know, he was sent to bear witness of the truth, and we are sent to bear witness of that truth. All men and women are sinners and need to repent and put their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We need to be the, we need to stand in the gap. Go to Ezekiel chapter 22. Ezekiel chapter 22. You know, I realize, you know, we were like we were talking this morning, there's a lot of churches that are preaching a false gospel, they're giving people false hope. But we need to we need to stand in the gap. And and you know, so so it requires of us not only do we have to have a genuine love for the Lord and a compassion for the lost, but we have to also maintain a clear uh, stand for the truth of the gospel. Uh, and not compromise it. Ezekiel twenty two and verse 23 says, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, say unto her, Thou art the, this is, of course, to Israel, to, to Judah, Thou art the land that is not cleansed, nor reigned upon the day of indignation. There is a conspiracy of her prophets in the midst thereof, like a roaring lion ravening the prey. They have devoured souls. They have taken the treasure and precious things. They have made her many widows in the midst thereof. You know, how many preachers are there for hire? There are a dime a dozen. I was reading a, a uh, news item a year or so ago about this young fella who got caught up with a charismatic preacher, and he, wanted, and he had a sincere desire to serve the Lord. And so he got involved with this charismatic preacher, and I think it was in Ohio somewhere. And, you know, and, and he got carried away with you know, the, the healings and all these things and the miracles and so forth and so on that all this, this, this guy could do. And, and he, was trying to, he was trying to teach, be taught how to do this and how to run ministry and, you know, and sway people, basically to sway people to follow him and give money. And he said, but after about three, I think it was three or four years, you know, all this this phoniness that this preacher's doing, he runs out of gimmicks and things and ways to sway people, and so he ends up just leaving. He just, all of a sudden, he just disappears. And of course, this guy became disillusioned with it, and he kind of left that, but he kind of, he, he, he became interested. Okay, where did he go? You know what he did? You know what that guy did? He went to another state and tried to repeat the same process over again. See, you can only fool people so long. That's why you have to continue to move. And that's what's happening here. You know, they, 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 they're ravening the prey. They devour souls, verse 25, and precious things. They have made the, her many widows in the midst thereof. Her priests have violated my laws. They don't keep the word of God. They don't preach the truth and have profaned mine holy, thing, profaned mine holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and profane, as I talked about that a little bit this morning. Neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean. Have hid their eyes from my Sabbaths, and am, I am profaned among them. This is talking about the priests and the prophets. Her princes in the midst thereof are like ravening wolves, ravening the prey to shed blood and destroy souls to get dishonest gain. And her prophets have daubed them with untempered mortar, seeing vanity and divining lies unto them, saying, Thus saith the Lord God, when the Lord hath not spoken. The people of the land have used oppression and exercised robbery and have vexed the poor and needy. Yea, they have oppressed the stranger wrongfully. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I find none. 
God here is looking for somebody in Israel who would stand up and tell the truth, preach the truth, would challenge these false prophets, but none would. Your pastors in our modern day have become facilitators. In other words, they're leaders of group discussions. You sit around in a group and you discuss things. You really don't have solutions. You don't apply Bible truth. You just give, you just give different opinions. I remember we were in Texas years ago with my in-laws. And uh, the relatives went to a Southern Baptist church. And uh, so Sunday morning we went to the Southern Baptist Church and I, we sat in this Sunday school class, my wife and I. It was young Mary's class, I believe it was. And this guy was teaching, uh, I think from the book of Hosea, if I'm not sure, one of the Old Testament books about Ephraim um, being like a backsliding heifer. And, uh, you know, and he just kept, they just kept going around and different ones saying about, you know, the things that Ephraim was doing. But none of them, not one person, the Sunday school teacher wouldn't make any application to the things of today. And for the last 10 minutes, I sat there with my hand up because I wanted to say something. And he never acknowledged me. But, you know, I'm going to say this is just like modern day. This is what preachers are doing and Sunday school teachers are doing today. They're not making any application They're just talking about it. There's no application. Just group discussions. You know, to facilitate things means, facilitate means to make things easier. So, we want to have churches that make things easier for you. So, like, remember Rod Bell was telling about Rod Bell, and the guy asked him, you know, about uh, a child dying, and how do you explain that? A God of love would allow that. He didn't have an answer. He said there are no solutions. He just said, we'll pray for you. We'll be there to encourage you. You know, and we'll have this discussion again later and try and help you through this. But he had no solution. Well, the solution is really quite simple. That child's death was not because of God. God's not the author of sin. And death is the result of sin. Yes, difficult things happen in this world, and you know, death happens because of sin. That's man's fault, not God's. See, we want to make life easy. You know, did Jesus make life easy for the disciples? Was life easy for them? You know, one man said, I'm going to follow you. And Jesus said, foxes have holes. The birds of the air have nests. The Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. He told his disciples to deny yourselves, take up your cross daily, and follow me. All of them that we are pretty certain of died martyrs' death except one. John, who was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. And historians say he was also boiled in oil, tortured for his faith. Yet he died a natural death. 
You see, joy is not in living for the present pleasure. Because you know that pleasure that we were living for? It's, all, it's elusive. When you think you get it, it moves. I don't know, I don't know about you, but you know, I'm old enough to figure out that that pleasure I thought was going to satisfy me, all of a sudden it seems to move when I got it. And it's not the pleasure I thought it was. It doesn't bring the satisfaction that I thought it would. Pleasure's elusive. See, joy is in a right relationship with the Lord. And and a love for God and for the souls of men. You know, Jude 1, 21-23 says, "Keep Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and of some having compassion, making a difference. Others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now, if there's a fireman that pulls someone out of a fire, you know what he's hailed? A hero. And the picture that the Lord gives here in Jude is, okay, if you witness to somebody and, and you are the instrument God used to bring them to salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, you pulled, you pulled them out of the fire. You pulled them out of the fire. And the Bible tells us there's joy in the presence of angels over some, one sinner that repents. I don't know about you, but, but it always brings joy when somebody comes when, to see someone come to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. To repent of their sin, put their faith in Christ. It brings the joy that you can't explain. You know, even the, even the, uh, the witnessing part, without the salvation. I remember the first guy that I actually really witnessed to myself. He was a neighbor. Glenn, not Glenn, Henry Metz. Henry Metz was his name. And uh, he was an older gentleman, and I went down to see him one evening, and, you know, nervous as a jitterbug, and I began to talk to him about the Lord, and I, and I said, you know, I, and I can't remember how I got it started. It was kind of rough getting started, but, but anyway, you know, I was still green behind the ears, and now I'm just, you know, half green there. But, but anyway, I got to the part where I said, you know, the Bible says that we're all sinners. There's none righteous. And he got angry. And he cursed. And he said, I've been a Christian all my life. And of course, that kind of ended that witnessing. And I, you know, soon left that evening. And, and, but, you know, when I left, I had a joy about that I could not explain. And I thought, at first I thought, this isn't right. But then I thought a little bit, and I thought, you know what? I have done what the Lord asked of me to do. And there is joy in doing, obeying what the Lord asks of us to do. There's a joy that I can't explain. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, you know, Paul, the apostle, is facing martyrdom, and yet he has a joy uh, in knowing that he has done what has pleased the Lord. 
2 uh, Timothy 4, verse 6, For I am now ready to be offered. I'm ready. He said, I'm ready to be offered. The time of my departure. He knows he's going to be martyred. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept my, the faith. Henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness with the Lord. The righteous judge shall give me it that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearance. Timothy, I'm ready to be offered. I'm about to be martyred. And, but I'm rejoicing that my service for the Lord is finished. I have kept the course. I have not failed to keep the commandments of God. In John, of course, John, the apostle of love, who's also a champion of truth, in 1 John chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, John says, That which we have seen and heard declare unto you that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship was with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things write we unto you that your joy may be full. How do you have fellowship with God? You obey His commandments. That's how you have fellowship with God. Keeping the commandments of God keeps you in fellowship with God. And he says, this, this, These things I write that your joy may be full. You know, even though Henry cursed at me, I was in fellowship with the Lord. Therefore, I had the joy of the Lord, even though I was disappointed that Henry responded and reacted the way he did. Second John, chapter, of course there only is one chapter, verses 1 through 4. Again, the elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, not I only, but also all they that have known the truth, for the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us, and shall be with us forever. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father, from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I found thy children walking in truth, as we have received a commandment from the Father. You know, isn't it, a, isn't it bring great joy when you see another Christian obeying the truth? And of course, in 3 John, he says basically the same thing. The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prosperous. For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. So, you know, we need to walk in the truth. We need to obey the truth. We need to give out the truth. We need to walk in fellowship with the Lord, be a witness and testimony. You know, the program for the church is to multiply and reproduce itself. You know, it's wonderful what we have children now coming on, but but we need to we need to we need to multiply ourselves, reproduce ourselves with souls being saved as well. Uh, In in verse eight of Acts chapter one he says, You shall receive power at that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. So the pattern here is that we are to, to be a witness in our area, and we're to reach out into the areas around us, and in, of course, our nation, the uttermost part of the earth. Of course, the only way we can do that is through missions. You know, the, the first church was at Jerusalem, 
the church at Jerusalem, people went out from the church at Jerusalem whenever they were preaching the gospel, and other churches were started. And of course, from that, the church of Antioch was started. And in Antioch, they sent out Paul and Barnabas to go into Asia Minor and Europe, places like Thessalonica and so on, and, and, and to start other churches. So they multiplied themselves. They reproduced themselves. He wrote first, uh, Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 1, 6-8. He says, You became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word of much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that you were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you signed out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to set, spread abroad, so we need not speak anything. And so what you see here was, every member of the churches was involved in evangelism. That's God's plan. And you can do that through two ways. But really, it's one. There's really no difference. You know, of course, being a witness where you are, in your own world where you are, where to be a witness and testimony for the Lord, witness to those around us that don't know the the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're also to be a witness in the places where we don't go. Judea, Samaria, uttermost part of the earth. And the way we do that is we partner with somebody else. Through giving. We call it faith promise missions. And really what we're doing is we're partnering or fellowshipping together for the gospel. We do that here sometimes. There may be somebody that you'll witness to and you may say, Pastor, could you go see so-and-so? Now, if I go see that so-and-so and they get saved, who gets the credit for that? We, not I, we, because we both invested in that person. So, you know, when the people were scattered from Jerusalem, they went everywhere preached the gospel. The gospel went with them because it was their life, the life of God in them. It was who they were. You know, the gospel should define who we are. Are you a living gospel? Are you showing forth the gospel of Christ where you live, where you work? John 13, 35 says, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. If you have love one for another. If you have that kind of love that the greatest commandment speaks of, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. You know what that means? You're going to make the Lord preeminent in your life. It also means you're going to treat your fellow man right, no matter what they do to you. They may not treat you right, but you're not governed by how they treat you. You're to be governed by your Lord and your Master. Because you, he is your first love. So we're commanded to reach our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, our country, and our world. And it requires love for the Lord demonstrated by giving. You know, in the churches of Macedonia were a great 
illustrations of this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. It says they first gave their own selves unto the Lord and then unto us, to them that heard them. You know, giving, giving is worship. You know, giving is really, when you give, what you're giving is your time that you've invested. I don't know about you, but, but I invest time to make money. You invest time to make money. And so when you give of that money, what you're doing is giving of your time that you've invested. It's an exchange of things. And so we give of our finances, we give of our time, we give of our labor. Uh, for missions, we are partnering with other churches to reach into you know, Taiwan, Russia, Greenland, Portugal, Mexico, uh, the Arctic, Arctic regions, um, Florida, now India. We're partnering together. You're investing, you're giving of your time so that you can partner together with Brian Pratt to take the gospel to those people in India who have never heard. People that you've never seen, never will see. And that is credit that will abound to your account. We should also be laborers that go. We should pray for the Lord to send forth laborers into his harvest. Trusting in the promise of God that he will supply the laborers. You see, this is, this is God's desired practice for his church is that there be participation from the body, the whole body, actively involved, laboring together, with him, bringing glory to him and reaching the lost. You know, whether it's through giving, whether it's through cleaning the church, mowing the lawn, helping maintain the buildings, taking care of the finances, teaching, music, praying, or giving. Those are all gifts. Giving is a gift. You know, 1 Corinthians 12 talks about the gifts that a body of Christ is supposed to have. And really what it boils down to is this. Look, stop your division, work together like a body as a body of Christ, and do what God has given you to do. Don't be jealous of somebody else in the body. Don't be jealous of some other body part. If you're a hand, don't be jealous of somebody's feet. Or somebody's heart. Or somebody's music talent. If you have the gift of, of serving. And so, you know, we've been, given a, we've been given a responsibility. We've been given an assignment, if you will. A purpose for being. And that is to continue what Jesus began to do. It is the greatest work on earth because the Bible tells us what could it profit a man 
but gain the whole world and lose his own soul. Is there anything worth more than a soul? You might think a million dollars is worth more, but when you're in hell for all eternity, you will change your mind. And so, you know, God has a plan for Lighthouse Baptist Church. And He desires that you and I each have a part in fulfilling that plan. Of taking the gospel to a lost and dying world. Let's pray.